I had to sell my plasma. Have I ever told you about that? You never told me about this. Plasma as in blood. Blood, right? Is yes. that what we're talking about? We're talking yeah. about blood? How was that? How, did, how old were you, first of all? <laughs> I was uh, 25. Oh, you were 25? Yeah, this was in Nashville, dude. This is only like three years ago. I thought you were going to be like, oh, I was 21. I was yeah, hard maybe up Maybe I cash. was even 26. Holy shit, this yeah. is recent. Okay, so, so yeah. walk me through this mindset. So it was after I moved into my new uh, new place that I'm living now. Yeah. <laughs> and it was my first winter driving for Uber and Lyft. Okay, and so I, you were struggling a little bit? Struggling bad, dude. Ooh. And I had no idea that things died off in the winter. I just didn't expect that to oh, happen. right, right, right. This was my first year doing it, and you don't really interact with any other drivers. So when do you hear the words plasma? <laughs> so I drove where I live in East Nashville. I drove a thousand times past this blood place mm-hmm. where you can go, and there's always cars out there, all that shit. Mm-hmm. So I went out there, and uh, I just went in, and you have to sign up, and they take you back, and they talk to you. They find out your medical history all that shit, and then they have to test your blood first. They do like a, a pinprick on the finger mm-hmm. to make sure you're not on heroin. You have to agree that you don't smoke synthetic marijuana, and you have to agree that you don't smoke like meth and crack and shit like that. Mm-hmm. And then you go back out to the waiting room, and they call you back in once a bed is available, and there's this giant room with like 40 beds in there. And you go... And they come around to you and they like tie off your arm. They come and look for a good vein first. Yeah. And they tie it off. And uh, yeah. Are there other, you said there's 40 beds. Are there other people in there? Oh yeah, dude. desperate souls. (laughs) It's a desperate place, dude. Yeah. I imagine there's not a lot of small chit chat in there. (laughs) Actually there is, dude. Oh really? A lot of people are just shooting the shit. A lot of people do it as like they're a way and way to make money and go frequently. How often can you do it? I can't think you only do it like one, once a month or something like that? No, you can go th- like three times a week. Holy shit. How much do you get paid? So the first five times you get paid $70 or $75. And they give you... Wait, $75 separately or four, five? No, separately. Okay. All right. So that's pretty good. It's like two hours. Yeah. Um, They put the needle in your arm and it starts to feel really cold. It probably takes like... 45 minutes to do or so. Yeah. But the whole process takes a while because you have to wait and go in and all. It's a weird experience, dude. I've never met someone who actually did it. I did it. Wow. I did it, dude. So how many times did you do it? Just the once or? uh, No. So I did it those five times to get the $75 each time. Okay. So 75, what's that? 300. It's like 375. Yeah. And then I went one or two times after that, but I was like, fuck this, because it's only $30 after that. Oh, fuck off. It yeah. goes down? Yeah, it goes down. So my blood was worth 70 now it's worth fucking And you get bucks. this weird metallic taste and your mouth gets cold, because <laughs> they, take, they take it out, and then they put, like, something in your arm. I don't know where this plasma is going to. It's probably Hillary Clinton or some shit yeah. like that. Yeah. That's who I expect to have it. <laughs> Joe um, Biden's just getting his shot straight. In his arm. Yeah, he's on the other side, like on the bed next to you. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, it's weird. I remember always going to the Kroger that's also right by my house because mm-hmm. they give you like a debit card. It's a reloadable card. And you have to go and oh. get the money off. So I would always see people go in there with Band-Aids around their arm because they just got done there. Whoa. So, okay, so you do five sessions. Like, what is the time frame? Is this over the course of a week? I think uh, I probably did it over the course, like, scattered out, depending on how desperate I was, maybe over the period of, like, two months. This might be me pretty soon, man. I might be selling my blood. Dude, it's dark, and it's like couples go in there, and, like, families go in there, shit like that. Everybody's poor, obviously. Yeah. I uh I never sold my plasma, but uh when I was I was not 25. I was probably 20, maybe 21, and I was living in Maine and uh this was when I was working at the grocery store. So I'm I'm living in my own place making fucking 7 bucks an hour. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm, I'm looking for money wherever I can get it. And I remember on the radio because I had to listen to the radio because I didn't have a fucking CD player that worked and I didn't have an aux cord, nothing, just in this little shitty fucking Ford Ranger from fucking 1999. And I remember they would advertise all the time on the radio. They would advertise uh, selling your plasma and the other one was bone marrow, donating your bone marrow. That one was like 300 bucks or something. I remember I heard them say, Plasma was something like that, 70 bucks or 100 bucks. I was like, that ain't going to do shit for me. But when I heard bone marrow, 300 bucks, I was like... You were just like, ching, ching, ching. Ooh, like that's half my rent. You know what I mean? And uh, I was really seriously considering this. Like I looked up the place where they did it. But then I started reading like message boards of people talking about the process. And they just said, it's not worth it. It's so painful. Dude, I would even say selling my plasma wasn't worth it because I just started getting like really fatigued for how long, like how long were the side effects? I mean, if you go a couple times in a week, dude, it fucks you up. (laughs) It fucks you up, dude. I was like falling asleep at like two in the afternoon, like barely able to keep my eyes. open. Really? Yeah. Ooh. So you got to like plan this out. You got to be like, if I'm donating, I'm not doing anything for the next. Well, not only that, but even like the next day you're going to get fucking tired in the afternoon. Oh, I did, dude, because they're taking your blood out. I can't believe you never told me that. And then they put the, the blood back in you, and uh, they mix it with, like, solution or whatever. This proves how dumb I am. But wait, so they take the blood out and then put it back in you? I think so. They That's make, how plasma works? Because they, they take the plasma out. Oh, and then they just give you your blood back? <laughs> yeah. What the fuck? I'd be like, keep it. What the fuck? Yeah. That's David Lynch shit. Yeah. It's oh, weird, dude. That's weird, man. Maybe I won't do that. It was a it was a really fucking dark time in my life. Because I was basically isolated. I wasn't talking to anybody in my life. I was like in a deep soul searching mode. And I was like, I'm gonna figure this shit out. It's gotta be. You gotta be in that position to be selling your plasma. Yeah. I wasn't talking to anybody. <laughs> Didn't have a job. Yeah. Only Uber and Lyft. That's, that's true desperation, man. It was true desperation. Wow. That was the blues. Damn. I, I've hit some low points, but uh, I never sold anything. Never sold my blood. Never sold my bone marrow. Didn't sell my body. It's a temple, dude.
This is Mana Science, Mana Faith. I'm Zachary Lehman, and my partner in crime is... Taylor Berryman. How can people find you, Taylor? They can find me on Instagram, the underscore Poptimist, and on Twitter as Poptimist. Is that DA Poptimist? Yep, it is. I'm never going to stop asking you that. And uh, also check out my podcast, The Poptimist. Yes. Which you can just find that. Anywhere. Anywhere, yeah. SoundCloud, iTunes. SoundCloud, iTunes, all those places. And then check out the song that I released last year called Gina, Gina, Gina. I hope someone actually listens to it. Um, And that's under the Poptimist, too. Cool. You can find me on Twitter at Writing Lehman. Facebook, Instagram, it's just Zachary Lehman, Z-A-C-H-A-R-Y-L-E-E-M-A-N. Please buy my book, Nye, N-I-G-H. I don't know what the fuck I need to do to get you people to read this fucking book. I got dog mutilation. I got necrophilia. I got murder. I don't know what else I can do. Buy the fucking book. All right, so today we're talking about... We're back to television. Yes. Another FX show, actually. Which I just realized. Yeah. Okay, that's cool. FX has a lot of good shows. <laughs> FX does. They have a good run, dude. I yeah, mean, they, they really... Wilfred. Wilfred. It's Always Sunny. Yep. Uh, the Shield, Rescue Me, those were way back in the day. Uh, so today we're talking about Louie. Did you watch Louie when it was on? I saw maybe one or two episodes. I think I saw an episode where he found like weed that his daughter had or something like that. Hmm. Yeah, I watched, uh, I watched pretty loyally. They're not like shows I really revisit, but these three episodes we're going to be talking about, these are ones I go back to a lot. It's almost like a small little movie for me. They kind of sit separate from a lot of the other episodes. And uh, they're called Late Show. Each one's called Late Show. Three parts. Part one, two, and three. Season three aired in 2010. Uh, It's episodes nine, or no, it's episodes 10, 11, 12. 12, Yes. Uh, So let's talk briefly about why we chose these episodes. You actually saw these because of me, or did you see them before? No, I I saw them because of you. Yeah, so I saw these... It was probably 2011 because I think I was watching the show on Netflix at the time. And I mean, uh, David Lynch is in them. Spoil, we'll get into him later. Yeah. But uh, David Lynch guest stars. That was my big reason for being excited about these because I was a huge David Lynch fan. I loved Blue Velvet, uh, Twin Peaks. I mean, I still love that shit. And uh, they were just good, man. These are episodes about really the stuff we've been talking about in all the other episodes. They're about life and 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 they very specifically tie into being an artist mm-hmm. and uh as you said not to steal your thunder but as you said before the podcast the art of failure and the art of success yeah you want to talk about that a little bit yeah well the appeal of the episode to you yeah shall we say i think a, a theme that i always really relate to is that you know in, in the episodes the the theme is really about louis having to try at something that's out of his comfort zone and it's Louis C.K., we should say. Louis Comedian. C.K., yeah. Yep. And just seeing him, I guess, uh, with the, the fear that he had over trying to be successful. Right. Where he he even says in one of the episodes, you know, either I'm going to, this is a door, I'm going to hit a wall. Yeah, which we'll get to. It's, we'll get, it's we'll get great... to that. But um, you see him kind of like begrudgingly trying this mm-hmm. because you know that he has to. Yeah. And uh, just a quick overview of the show. It's basically, it's almost, uh, it's like a spin on the Seinfeld idea. Because he plays a version of himself who's not quite as successful as he is. 
And each episode, or most episodes, I think, kind of start with a set he's doing, kind of like uh, Seinfeld did way back in the day. Mm-hmm. And that's how we start this episode. Louis doing a set. At so the Hollywood little, Improv. Yeah, at the Hollywood Improv. And, uh, you know, he's doing his usual Louis C.K. bit. And then after he does his set, which is very funny, um, I won't dare to repeat it because I can't do it as well as he can. But, uh, oh, go ahead. One thing he says that I like during that, he says, okay. what do we expose our kids to when? And he's basically talking about how soft America is. Well, this was, this is something I always appreciated about Louis' comedy is that he almost talked about like woke issues, but in a very vulgar and relatable way. Yeah. And that was one of his biggest things. Like one of the, the things, like you said, he talks about is, you know, in America, we have this great privilege to, to be able to debate, like, when do we expose our kids to war? When do we tell them about death? He's talking about, you know, in third world countries or, or in the Middle East. It's like there is no option. They just find out, yeah. you know. So that's I mean, his humor is always like that. Like he he talks about, you know, he's never a guy who's going to drop like white privilege. But he'll talk about, you know, being a white guy. You can just be dropped at any time in history and you'll do fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he does his set. And then we realize right after that uh, this has kind of been a, a tryout for uh, The Tonight Show. Yes, with uh, Jay Leno. With Jay Leno at the time, back when The Tonight Show was good. Who's the host of The Tonight Show now? Jimmy Fallon. Oh, okay. I don't watch it. I like Jimmy Fallon. He's one I, of those guys I like. I'm not a f- big fan of. I like Jimmy I Fallon. Like him. I like the music nice element guy. in his show. Oh, because he, he has, has a gr- The Roots, the right? The Roots, great house Yes, band. that's, you know what? If he made one right decision... It was having the roots as yeah. his band. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, yeah, he's talked to by a producer or someone for The Tonight Show right after his set. He's talking about how he's going to be on the show soon. And, and uh, you know, this set's perfect. So it's only this amount of time. And he gets told that Tom Cruise is going to be on the show and that Tom Cruise likes to go long. So Louis having this anxiety. He's like, I'm going to get, get bumped. bumped. I'm going to get bumped. This is also when we're introduced to his agent, who... Uh, <laughs> I can't remember his name, but the the actor Doug. Oh, is it Doug? Doug. Doug, who looks like thirteen. He's got some like Benjamin Button fucking disease going on. I mean, his name, the actor's name. I don't know if I'll pronounce this right. It's Edward Gelbinovich, something like that. Anyway, he looks like he's like thirteen, like you say. He looks like he's basically just hit puberty, and uh, he agrees when he's like, "Yeah, you're probably gonna get bumped because of Tom Cruise." So he thinks he's going to get bumped. Uh, we wake up with him. He's in a hotel room, obviously waking up late, because that's what comedians do, I suppose, pulling late nights. And uh, one funny line in this scene, when he wakes up, he uh, he gets called by room service. And they say, uh, he has a do not disturb sign. And they keep asking, when do you want us to clean the room? When do you want us to clean the room? And he's like, this literally defeats the purpose of the do not disturb sign. And this is one of the great elements of the episode and the show is that they get into just life. That's life. When shit happens where it's an issue, but you almost can't explain the issue to another person. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And uh, another great line is when he's opening the blinds, he sees the sun coming in and he just goes, shit, bitch. <laughs> like It's just such a great combination of curse words. And he gets a call from his agent. Uh, he says, you have to meet the head of uh, CBS. Because his, his set goes viral from The Tonight Show the night before. Yes, set goes viral. You have to meet the head of uh, CBS. He says, whatever, thinking it's probably nothing. 
So they go to meet the head of uh, CBS, who is, by the way, Gary Marshall, who, if people don't know, he's, uh, I think he's passed away now, but he directed uh, Pretty Woman. He directed, he's, he's one of those guys, he's like a Clint Eastwood type. He was just, I mean, he was just a workhorse through Hollywood. Like every decade you can pick out like a hit movie he did. He just never stopped. And he's got a great like Bronx accent. So he goes to see uh, the head of CBS. I can't remember if they give him a name. But the head of CBS tells him David Letterman's retiring. Would you be interested in the job? Makes him sign a confidentiality agreement. Makes first. him sign a confidentiality Before agreement. he even tells him that. Yeah. Have you ever had to sign a confidentiality agreement? Uh, no. I've signed a lot of NDAs in my time. Every media job, NDA. Really? Every single one. Because, well, I won't get into why. Just know you have to sign him. So he tells him, uh, David Letterman's retiring. He tells him how good his set was. And he says, would you be interested in the job? Louis sitting there, you know, in like jeans and a fucking t-shirt. He's like, no, that's not me. And uh, this guy goes into just a great, I won't even call it a great speech because it's manipulative. But he breaks Louis down. He knows his fears. Louis, a comedian who is, let's say... 44. Oh, does it say? Okay, so 44. 44. And he's a mildly successful comedian. Successful by a lot of people's standards, but the way this guy breaks him down, you would think he's never done anything in his life. He works the road a lot. Works the road. This guy says to him, you know, what do you you make? $80,000 a year? I fucking wish, dude. $80,000 is a good living... As an artist, you don't know if that's going to last forever. Yeah. So if you're making that at 44, that's not a guarantee you're going to be making that for life. Because it's not a normal it's not a normal gig. You know what I mean? And the CBS guy plays into that and says, you're going to end up teaching stand-up at a community college. Oh, and when he says this stuff, you can see it landing like punches. Because on these are all thoughts Louis has probably had. It's thoughts he's had but I don't think he's dared to ever express them yeah. except maybe through like humor. So he breaks it down. He says, what option do you have? Like, this is it. You take this, this. is your shot. This is your shot. I'm giving you a shot. And one, one thing I liked is that he says, uh, he doesn't even say Louie is the top pick. Cause Louie goes, you should get Jerry Seinfeld. He goes, Oh, we are getting Jerry Seinfeld, but he's expensive. We just need an option. And this is, this is one of the parts I love about this scene because as an artist, I think you get these opportunities a lot or you hope for these opportunities because sometimes you're not even offered success. You're offered a minuscule chance at success. And that's how he puts it to him. He's like, basically, you probably won't get this job. But why does that mean you don't have to try? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so he says, uh, eventually, Louis is like, I, I mean, I have no choice. One thing I like is uh, this goes on throughout all three episodes. Every time something crazy happens, they basically just go to the agent and they just have his like look of shock and they just keep repeating this. So Louis eventually says, OK, and he's uh, the head of CBS is going to set him up with none other than Jack Doll. Jack Doll. Jack Doll who is some kind of like vague 
comedy expert. I'm not quite sure yeah. what Jack. He's like a late late night expert. Yeah, I'm not sure like what how you get this job, how you become Jack Doll, but he's gonna set him up with Jack Doll in New York, and they are going to turn Louis into a late night host. He's gonna lose some weight. He's gonna do all this great stuff, and possibly get this job. And that's basically the end of this episode. Jack Doll doesn't show up. Not yet. Not yet. But the one thing that that guy said to uh, to Louie that stuck out to me, he said, you're circling failure in a yes. rapidly decaying orbit. Circling failure, yes. And I like, too, when he called him uh, basically working class. Because this is a thing... And I don't, I don't, I'm sure you can relate to this. Even, you know, I, I can't say we can sit here and be like, we're two majorly successful artists. But when it comes to art and success, a lot of people who aren't involved in it don't quite know what success is because in art, there is a hierarchy, you know? Oh, yeah. There's an upper class, there's a middle class, there's a there's lower middle class. class, there's a low class. And he tells Louis, you're a working class comedian, you know? And it's like, it's the equivalent of having, let's say, a good factory job. You know, I've had a factory job before. And, you know, I made good money there. But it was like, uh, let's say 50 grand a year. It's like someone just breaking down your life when you're there. It's like, are you going to do this the rest of your life? Can you do this the rest of your life? You know, they almost, if you think you're successful, this guy comes in and just shatters that illusion. So that's the end of this episode. Then we get into the second episode. And it opens with Louis meeting with his ex-wife. Yes. The mother of his two daughters. And he tells her about this idea. He's like, hey, I'm an option. I'm a long shot. And she kind of sees through his bullshit at one point. Is like, you're just talking. She calls him out on it. You're just talking to me to have me give you an excuse not to do it. Because he keeps saying, well, if I do this, I'm going to be in L.A. I'm going to be working five nights a week. I'll only see the kids every weekend. And uh, she kind of breaks him down, too. She's very ruthless, maybe in a more considerate way. But she's pretty ruthless in that he's talking about uh, Oh, one great thing she says is you need to do this because you'll have a job. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, what do you what do you mean? I have a job. And this is, I think and she brushes it off. Any artist, especially people who make money from their art, but maybe not an incredible amount, it doesn't matter if you make twenty grand from whatever your artistic vocation is, or forty grand or eighty grand or a hundred grand or two hundred grand. The average person will not respect it. Because to them, you don't have a job. You know what I mean? Unless you are Tom Cruise, they will not respect what you're doing. That's most people. And she basically does that. She's like, you need a job. The kids need someone to look up to. So then he's all for it. He's going to go for it. Then we get into uh, Louis jogging. Louis a little, little husky. Then we get into Jack motherfucking doll. He goes to see his comedy expert. Now, Jack Dahl, played by David Lynch, the one and only, the man behind the current daily weather reports on YouTube, the man behind classic films like Blue Velvet, behind the one and only Twin Peaks, 
David Lynch is truly one of a kind. So I want to, before we keep going with the episode, I want to give you a quick background on how David Lynch played this part because I had no fucking clue. I assumed, because David Lynch did so well with this part, I assumed that Louis right away made this part for David Lynch, who does act here and there. He did not think of David Lynch first. Originally, he thought of the actor Ben Gazzara. You know who that is? No. Jackie Treehorn from oh, The Big Lebowski. yeah. And he's been in a lot of other big stuff. He's in Buffalo 66, a lot of stuff. So he's talking to, I forget who he said he was talking to, a friend or something, and he was doing this voice, and a line that we'll get into later, he was doing this voice and he was going, champ, that's short for champion. And he was doing it like what he thought was a Ben Gazzara voice. So they look up Ben Gazzara because they're thinking, this is going to be great. We'll do this episode with Ben Gazzara. Ben Gazzara had died literally an hour before. Oh, they Googled shit. this. So he was like, while we're sitting there smoking and joking about Ben Gazzara, he probably literally died. So Ben Gazzara was not an option. He then went through at least four more people before he came up with David Lynch. His second choice was Jerry Lewis. Jerry Lewis said no because he's an old curmudgeon fuck. He basically just faxed. I guess you have to... He was saying, uh, Jerry Lewis, you basically fax his assistant to offer him things, and he just faxed back, no. Then he thought Woody Allen, which makes sense, both New Yorkers. Yeah. Woody Allen says, no. Al Pacino. Al Pacino says, no. Martin Scorsese. Martin Scorsese says, no. So then he's on this kick. He's like, well, I'll keep asking directors, because I, I asked Martin Scorsese. So he looks up Francis Ford Coppola because he's like, I'll get Francis Ford Coppola to do it. And somehow when he looked up Francis Ford Coppola, he landed on David Lynch's name, was reminded how much he loves David Lynch. And then he goes, no other actor could ever play this. And he goes, if I can't get David Lynch, I'm not going to do this series of episodes. Asks David Lynch. David Lynch politely says no. So over the course of two months, he keeps talking to him about it. David Lynch keeps saying, there's a thousand other actors who could play this better than me. I don't like to travel. I'm not a good actor. He keeps asking him. Eventually, he breaks him down because he says, you'll only have to film for two days. And David Lynch, he broke him down. He got David Lynch on his show. There's some Lynchian vibes. And there's like, there's like parts of it that seem like his influence for sure. Yeah, so I, I think uh, I think for sure when David Lynch said yes, the episode kind of changed. Yeah. And the episode probably became what it was supposed to be because all these other actors are great, but I don't think they would have played Jack Doll the way David Lynch did. No. I think they would have done it very straight because he, uh, Louis said when he offered it to David Lynch, David Lynch basically said, ah, like, there's people who can do this better than me. And Louis was like, no, you don't understand. I don't want you to do what's on the page. Like, I want you to play you, basically. Yeah. This guy with, like, who's bizarre, and he has this weird, like, Midwestern radio announcer voice going on. You know what I mean? This Midwestern accent mixed with a radio announcer voice, and he's very strange. And so David Lynch, he eventually gets him to do it. So anyway, we're back in Jack Dahl's office. Yes. Louis is getting his first lesson in comedy after probably 20 something years doing it and uh all all jack doll says is uh he goes to the agent because the agent shows up he says you pick up that cue card and he tells louie to read it 
And it's a joke about Nixon. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Louis, let's say, struggles through it. Yes. And then uh, it doesn't go quite well. And uh, all David Lynch says, he goes, comedy is about timing. Work on your timing. Come back on Wednesday. That's it. That's the whole lesson. Uh, then we get into, we're at the, this was a strange scene. I actually, I wonder what you think of this. Because then we go to the supermarket with him and his daughters. And they see a woman uh, stealing meat. And uh, Louis sees it and he goes, oh, God, no. And his daughter snitches this woman out and security gets her. And Louis's almost like disappointed by that. What do you think? Because that never really, they never go back to that. No. I expected after that, like a scene of him telling his daughter some kind of lesson, but they never really go back to that. Do you have any? I, I don't know. I was thinking about that when I was watching it, too, because it it's basically like, 30 second scene maybe of just them grocery shopping. Yeah. Um, so then we go into, Oh, and we should say, uh, so the whole reason he went viral on Jay Leno was cause Tom Cruise didn't show up. Yes. And he took over for Tom Cruise. Yeah. So the next scene, he gets a call from none other than Jay Leno. Now this is an interesting scene because, and I think once it's in the context of the rest of the episode, there can be a lot of theories about this scene. But uh, Jay says, uh, oh, I hear they, they offered you Late Show. And Louis's like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know. I'm not supposed to talk about it. I'm not supposed to talk about it. But then Jay Leno's like, I know everything. Which, I don't know. I look at Jay Leno and I kind of think, this guy probably does know everything. Well, he plays into the way that he's kind of portrayed, too. He leans into it, yes. which makes me think he's cool. And that's, that's what I liked about this. Because Jay Leno, I won't say I'm like a passionate fan of Jay Leno. But he's a really, if we're talking about interesting artists, Jay Leno is maybe one of the most interesting guys whose like story has never really been told or dived into. From Massachusetts. From Massachusetts, East Coast guy. And uh, people don't realize like before The Tonight Show, like they think he was just always The Tonight Show. He was a working class comedian. Yeah. Like, and... When I say working class, like, I think Joe Rogan's talked about it. I know, like, Jay Moore's talked about it. Like, he was the sort of guy who was doing multiple sets a day, seven days a week. And at one point, he was, like, homeless, sleeping outside the comedy store in L.A. And then he became the Tonight Show host. And then he was, like, just mainstream. And I even thought, this will age us a little bit, but uh, one of the big pop culture controversies when we were young was the late night show wars. Yeah. When Conan O'Brien took over for Jay Leno. Jay Leno was given another show. That show got canceled. They threw Conan off the Tonight Show, put Jay Leno back on the Tonight Show. I think he was only there like a couple of years, but people hated Jay Leno for a minute, mm-hmm. which I, I'm always for the underdog, but for some reason in that situation, I always viewed... Jay is the underdog because they basically gave him this new show. And then they were like, eh, fuck you. We want you back on the tonight show. It was almost like this, like prison sentence. He couldn't escape. You know what I mean? He's like, okay, I got to go do the dog and pony show again. So anyway, he's talking to, and Jay Leno today, by the way, semi-retired. He's got some show about cars or something on uh, CNBC or something. Big car guy. Big car guy. Seems like a great guy. Multiple warehouses. Yeah. Yeah, he's all into those old fucking cars. But uh, I guess that's what isn't that what you do when you get money? 
everyone who has like just stupid amounts of money gets they just a, buy cars. They either get into like really old cars or they're like, oh, you know what I'm into? Like really old airplanes. It's always like modes of transportation. They just get into like the old shit that no one cares about because they just have money to not only buy this shit, but to just have mechanics like work full time to keep up with them. So he talks to Jay. He says, uh, should I take this gig? And this was a moment from Jay where he says, uh, don't do it. And he talks about everything we just said. He's like, you're the edgy guy. I was the edgy guy. And then I went mainstream and he talks about late night, which again, I don't think the guys who do late night get enough credit because he says you have to do 14 minutes of fresh material every fucking night. And he says something to the degree of you can't be hip every single night. Now, the next scene, we get another big guest star, Chris Rock. And Chris Rock, he's telling him about this Jay Leno phone call. This I have kind of a theory about, because I've thought about this these episodes way too much. Chris Rock tells him, like, Jay Leno's fucking with you. Late night wars. You know what I mean? And he says, uh, Louis like, oh my God, yeah, you're right. But when this meeting is done, we realize Chris Rock has been manipulating uh, Louis and there's a lot of ma- manipulation throughout all three of these mm-hmm. episodes because we're getting into he's moving into he was working class Hollywood now he's moving into upper class Hollywood and that's where the games begin you know just like when you read a book Game or, of Thrones dude yeah once you get into the upper class it's just all games and he says uh, you know he's fucking with you everybody's out to get you everyone's out to get you but I thought with this if there's one person who's genuine with Louie throughout this whole episode and there's no debating it, I think it's Jay. Because Chris Rock fucks with him because we see Chris Rock call his agent. Later in the episode, we see that Chris Rock has somehow thrown himself out there as an option to take over the late show on media because I think he's trying to convince CBS to hire him. But when he talks to Jay, Jay has that moment where he tells him, don't do it. So I think... Jay might be the only person in this episode or one of the only people who's Besides Jack Dahl. Jack Dahl, but I have something to say about that later. Uh, I think Jay might be one of the only people who is actually honest with Louie. You know, I don't think he's fucking with him when he says don't do it. What do you think? I don't know. I think part of the reason that they, that they, it was cool that they were able to include Jay Leno, but I a lot of big guest stars. A lot of big guest stars in these episodes. But I think it plays in, again, to the whole Jay, Jay Leno persona of, yeah. the, of the way that the media has portrayed him. Yeah. But that's why I think, too, it can also be viewed as an honest moment. Because he is playing into that persona, and he's almost commenting on the way people view him. Yeah. You know what I mean? So then we're back to... Good old Jack Dahl, which, by the way, I guess we should give a better description of Jack Dahl for people who don't know David Lynch. David Lynch, the voice he does, I wish I could do it. If I could do a David Lynch impression, I would do it every moment of every day for the rest of my life. It's this high-pitched, matter-of-fact voice. And it's, again, it's got that Midwestern accent, but then it's also this, like, fake radio announcer voice mixed in so we go back to uh practice with jack doll and uh we see louis he's in some kind of studio he's practicing to introduce now he's he's moved on from cue cards now he's like this is 
this is how we introduce late night. And he's doing a, a terrible job, of course. And he says he, he can't do it. Yeah. <laughs> Jack Doll asks him, he's like, can you do this? And Louis's like, no, yeah. <laughs> I, I can't. I love the moment where uh, Jack Doll, he just keeps going, shoot, go. And then eventually, <laughs> Start. Louis just fucking, he's fucking up and Jack Doll just goes, I'm coming in. And then we get a very Twin Peaks moment where uh, Jack Doll's showing him how to do it. And he's coming out from behind these curtains and he's, uh, you know, buttoning up his coat and he's saying... This is like a, just like a, a test studio, basically. Yeah, no one's there. and It's uh, just the two of them. He's waving to the audience, pretending there's applause there's there. There's music playing. You can hear the audience. Well, every time Louis looks in the monitor... He sees that. Yeah. But there's nothing there. There's they keep cutting there. back and forth. And that felt very... Uh, Lynchian. Lynchian. Um, so, yeah, he uh, he completely fucks that up. And then uh, they get into a debate about the suit. <laughs> Louis, who, who earlier when he's going on uh, The Tonight Show, I love this part, too, where the guy's miking him up and he's like, where's your jacket? Like, your suit jacket. And he goes, oh, I'm just wearing this. A guy has a moment of like, oh, Okay. You're good then. (laughs) And he says, uh, I'm not wearing a suit. Jack says, you know, just because you like looking like you just rolled out of bed doesn't mean the rest of not even America. He says, United States of America wants to see you like that. So he sends him someplace where Louis thinks he's going to go get fitted for a suit. It's actually a gym, a boxing gym, a boxing gym. Louis, again, a husky guy getting pushed out of his comfort zone, pushed out of his comfort zone. And uh, he gets in the ring with somebody and uh, basically just gets hit. He just, I mean, he's a pussy. He goes into the corner. He goes in the the fetal position, just keeps getting hit, falls on the ground. All the boxing trainer says is, come back. What does he say? Come back tomorrow or come back next week or something. Yeah. So then we're at basically uh, the end of the episode. We see the Chris Rock thing on E.T. Realize Chris Rock was manipulating him the whole time. And then we also have the very Twin Peaks ending where uh, originally when Louis went to see Jack Dahl, he got into he had a moment with the secretary. He goes, oh, I'm here to see Jack Dahl. And she goes, it's Dahl. And so they play out this whole scene where he's just saying it again and again and being corrected. But they keep switching the actors like Louis at one point is behind the desk. Some random dude. It's a different woman. It's a dude. Then it's a woman talking with Louis's voice. Very, very Twin Peaks. And I'll say too that waiting room. I actually noticed that waiting room looks a lot like yeah, the red room in for Twin sure. Peaks. Anyone who's watched Twin Peaks, that's the vibe you get when you see him sitting in there is the red room. Yeah. Um, for anyone who doesn't watch Twin Peaks, they don't give a fuck. Anyway, so that's the end of the second episode. Then we get into the big enchilada. The fucking big dick the Rambo third act. of them all. This is where it all comes together. Will Louis become a late night host? What did you think going into the third episode? Did you think he was going to get this gig? We won't say if he gets it or not. Um, no, I didn't think he was going to get it. I, I didn't think he was going to get it because... That's how life works. Because of that, A, that is how life works. But B, the fact, and I don't think Louis thought he was going to get it either, but I think he knew it was important to try going back to that conversation with his wife saying that your daughters need to see you. Well, I would, I would half agree with that. I think Louis does think he's going to get it, which, or I think he reaches a point where he thinks he's going to get it. I would agree with that. 
And his wife, that. to be fair, I don't think his wife is like cares about him enough to be like it's important you try she's like you need to get this fucking job well she said it's important for his daughters to see him try well it's important for his daughters to see him succeed she said that's the pressure she puts on yeah i don't think she means trying that's and that's the thing you know we keep hearing this somber music throughout the whole episode it's like all three episodes sad jazz yeah very like just when you get bad news, this is the music that would kind of play in your head. And it just plays through all three of these episodes. Sad clown music. It is sad clown music. And I think, uh, I think that's the pressure he has on him is that like, and he says to doll, actually we'll get into this because next scene. So we see him, uh, working out with his daughters. He's still jogging, trying to lose a little weight. And this is a, this is a pretty great moment with both his daughters. And I was actually going to say, I have never wanted kids and I don't think I will ever want kids because kids by and large are very annoying. They're like little people. So they're just basically future assholes. But watching this show, when I see the way his daughters love him, like there's just the unbridled love they have for him. I am like, you know what? That's another reason I don't want to have kids because the amount of love a kid has for you, these little kids have for him, no matter how pathetic he is. I'm like, I could not handle that. Cause he's cry. very unlikable. I would cry like a baby. The, some of the stuff they say to him, the way they love him. Well, the, he, he says he's, they ask why he's, he's doing this. Yeah. They're like, daddy, <laughs> they're both great. Both yeah. The, kids. the younger one calls him, uh, a fat daddy. Well, yeah, because she's like, uh, why are you running? He's like, well, I got to lose weight. And he's like, yeah, but... And she's got like a lisp or, or a speech impediment. She's like, yeah, but you're not skinny. You're fat daddy. <laughs> I love that. And uh, they ask a great question. This is when like just the innocence of kids comes through. They say, because uh, he says, you know, I have to change for this job. Like this job's really hard. And one of his daughters asks him like, why do you have to change who you like? Basically, why do you have to change who you are? Which is a valuable question. And I think one that probably sticks in his head to the end. Because he wasn't thinking that he wanted to, to change it all up until this point. Because this is him until, going out of his comfort zone. Until all these external pressures came. His wife, his agent, the CBS guy, Chris Rock. I Halen. think he definitely wants the job. Yeah. Well, I think he wants not the job, but what the job represents. Success. Which is, I mean, it's basically undeniable success. Because again, that gets into like, as an artist, you can be successful in your own right. But unless you are at a certain level, everyone views you as a joke. The CBS boss even says at one point, he's like, you're probably starting to think, how many years do I have left before it gets embarrassing? Yeah. Which, if you're an artist... And you've never had that thought, you know, let's uh, maybe you don't have it before you're like 25. But if you're an artist over 25, and you've never had that thought. You're never going to succeed. You're yeah. an ignorant fuck if you have never, ever thought that to yourself. And uh, so I think it's these external pressures. But he does say to them, he says some good things. He says, like, you know, sometimes when you want something really bad, you you have to try. So then we're back in Dahl's office. This is the best scene yeah, I would show, agree with I that. Think. And I have a little more behind the scenes uh, trivia for this this scene. First off, the best thing about it is it starts off with just Jack 
on the phone at his desk. Louis waiting. He's just rubbing his head like he's having a headache. He's talking on the phone. We never hear what's being said to him. But he just goes, yes, no, no. All right, then. Yes, yes. Like he just goes through this whole, all these motions. Eventually hangs up and uh, tells Louis he didn't even know he was a comedian. He thought he was a newsman. And Louis goes, no, I'm, I'm a comedian. And Jack, very, uh, very to the point, he says, well, let's see it then. Go. And he's like, what? He's like, funny. Go. Like he's Three, two, yeah. one, go. <laughs> and uh, I love what Louis says when he goes like, well, I'm not that kind of comedian. And I, I think this is great because... I think the majority of comedians today don't have that thing where it's like you can just go, go, and they tell jokes. Yeah. Because most successful comedians today, they're just telling stories, you know? So it's not like turn it on, turn it off. Yeah. And he's trying to explain this to Jack Dahl, who is obviously from a different time. And he doesn't want to hear it. The second he's done, he goes, leave my office. And then, uh, you know, he's he keeps saying to him, he keeps giving him chances. He keeps saying, let's see it, bud. You want me to count backwards from three, three, two, one, go. He just keeps giving him chances and he's fucking up. He can't do anything. And uh, it reaches a point where Louis, he's leaving. And he's mad. And he turns and he says exactly the quote you said earlier. He says, uh, look, this is either a, a wall or a door for me. But this is, he says, this is, this might be the end. I need this to happen. And Jack Dahl gives him one more chance. Let's see it. Three, two, one, go. Can't do it. Jack Dahl just rips him apart. Goes, you're scared like a rookie. Yeah, that's and, a great uh, line. And uh, so Louis proceeds to, he's turning around, he's leaving, and he's you just see it in his face. He's thinking, like, I'm walking away from all of this. And he turns around, and he does. He's about to tell him off. But instead... He goes into basically how a three-year-old would make you laugh. He goes, <laughs> you're a pencil penis. And he starts showing his belly, making weird noises. Jack Doll is not reacting at all. He's not laughing. <laughs> he's just, and he's just acting like a fool. He stops. He has a moment of embarrassment. Like, I can't believe I just did that. Like, I'm a 44-year-old man. Jack Doll, moment of silence. He just goes... You just bought yourself another week and that's it. <laughs> so why do you think that is? Cause it clearly wasn't funny. So I have a theory, but I'm actually going to tell you a little behind the scenes trivia about that scene. So Louis CK was a huge David Lynch fan and he talked about this. He said, uh, when he was in the middle of doing that, he said, when he showed his belly to David Lynch, it made him feel so self-conscious that he got a stomach cramp. And he just suddenly blurted out, this isn't funny. And David Lynch basically tore into him. David Lynch was like, it's not supposed to be funny. Jack Dahl isn't giving you another week because he thinks you're funny. Jack Dahl's giving you another week because you tried. Yes. Because it's the first time he saw you try. Make an honest effort. You made a fool out of yourself because you wanted something. Which is obviously, that's probably what Louis thought when he wrote it. But in the moment... 
you know, he was like in front of his hero and he's like, I don't know. And David Lynch just broke it down. Like he was like, no, this is why, which tells you this is an episode that I think artists can just understand from the fucking beat. Like the fact that David Lynch could be like, that's what it is. That's what you meant, you know? And he hit it on the fucking nose. It's a, it, this is the best scene of the episode. It's very goofy, but it's such a great It's got a lot of scene. heart. Because I think as artists, we can all picture ourselves in that moment or we've been in that moment where we've done something desperate, you know, where we have embarrassed ourselves because we had to take a shot because there was no other choice. Is this your favorite scene of the episode? I'm this curious. is my favorite scene too. I I think it's for that. Or of all three episodes, excuse yeah, me. Yeah, um, for that very reason of uh, David Lynch recognizes that he's trying and that he yeah there was a switch that happened where it's he said like fuck the self conscious like behavior or whatever mm-hmm. I'm doing because Louis was kind of kind of had this era of he was too cool for school before that you know what I mean where he's yeah. like I'm an edgy club comedian that's probably what. Jack Doll smelled on him. Was yeah. he? Had, he had this this air about him where he's like, "I shouldn't be here," even though I kind of want to be here. But he's not really showing that he wants to be there. Well, and and, and that's a that's a natural mode for artists to go in, which is fear of success. Fear of success, yes, and that's why many of us like, if someone says to you, it doesn't matter what you do, whether you're a musician, a writer, an actor, if someone just says to you, go. Show me. We're all going to have the same reaction. Like, well, what do you you mean? You know what I mean? Because we could. We could just throw ourselves out there. But it's a scary thing to do. You know what I mean? Especially if. Yeah, especially if you take that shot and nothing happens. You know, and I think that's what Louis afraid of. He's afraid to throw himself into this 100 percent, because if he does throw himself into this 100 percent, any fails it's worse than throwing yourself in halfway because you throw yourself in halfway and you still fail it's like well i never really gave a shit about it anyway Mm -hmm. you know and the other thing i like about this too is i think jack doll he's because he's an old school guy he gets it because i will say i hate to keep saying art i'm just trying to cover like Everything. I'm not trying to be a pretentious fucking douchebag, but, you know, I'm just trying to cover all the fields. Nine times out of ten, it's more about work ethic and the willingness to try and fail than it is about talent. I think a lot of people talk about this. You know, one of my favorite writers is uh, Stephen Hunter. Uh, He's writes a lot of thriller books, but uh, one of the brilliant things he, he talks about, he tells a story about when he worked at a newspaper and he was leaving, he was taking a leave of absence to go write a novel. And uh, three other people at the same time were leaving the same newspaper to go do the same exact thing. When they were all leaving, they threw a huge party, but not for him because he never said why he was leaving. They threw it for these three other people. Because they were talented. They were, you know, opinion columnists. They were, they were like the stars of, of this newspaper. It's like, yes, go become successful novelists. And he says, this was 30 years later, maybe. Not one of them completed a book. 
not one of them. And he says, they were all better looking than me. They were all more talented than me. They all deserved it more. But it comes down to a willingness to fail and work ethic. And I think that's what Jack Dahl is trying to instill in Louie. I think so too. And that's why he appreciates him doing what he did, even though it is maybe the least funny thing he's ever seen. The (laughs) fact that he's willing to throw himself to that death, he has more respect for that than if someone came in and had a massive amount of talent, but not the work ethic or not the willingness to embarrass which is which is common for creative types very common which is why i mean uh, that stephen hunter story is perfect just because it's four people and one of them succeeded you know what i mean and maybe that's not true across the board that's you know 25 percent success rate but it just speaks to you know out of if you take four you take 10 it's go it's always going to be a minority that's willing to do that because it, it goes against our natural instincts to do that to ourselves, you know, it's punishment. It's punishment, but, uh, gotta be punished to, uh, do what you want. You know, nothing ever comes free. So then we're at the night of the test show, which this, they bring in some, you know, some, uh, people off the street. He's going to interview some celebrities, but it's never going to be aired. This is just what he's been working towards to have a test show to make sure he can be, you know, Host of Late Show, as David Lynch would say. So David Lynch comes back to the green room. Gives him a suit. G- gives him... Custom made. Custom made, yep. Louis sees he respects him. And he says, this is the uh, the last time I'm going to see yes. you. Yes, yeah. But there's three... Uh, Why does he say it's the last time they're going to see each other? Because it's about to uh, about to end either way. Whether whether Louis is a success because if it get, gets picked up, they'll hire a younger producer, a younger producer to replace yeah. Jack, um, and or it, they're not going to pick it up. And they yeah. just won't see each other again. Are you about to bring up Jack Dahl's three rules of yes. show business? Can I see if I know them off the top of my head? Go for it. Okay, because I wrote them down, but I'm gonna I'm gonna turn my notebook over. I'm gonna see if I know these because honestly, I want to memorize these because I feel like each one of them is so fucking true. It's a Bible, dude. It's a Bible. There should be an entire book written about Jack Dahl's three rules of show business. Let me see if I get this. I might fuck this up. Uh, The first rule is uh, when you talk, speak from the heart. Look them in the eye and speak from the heart. Look them in the eye and speak from the heart. Okay. And the second one is to come back. First, you have to go away. Is that right? You got to go away to come back. Got to go. Okay. 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 So I'm getting them. I'm just wording them different. And then the last one, the most important rule, anyone out there who wants to be an artist, never, ever forget this. Cause he puts a lot of emphasis on this one. When someone asks you to keep a secret, that secret is a lie. Which plays into what happens next. What happens right after. Jack Dahl's rules are proven correct because none other than Jerry Seinfeld shows up being a little smarmy 90s sitcom millionaire douchebag. Well, to go to go back for a second, do you think that uh, Jack saw Jerry Seinfeld hanging around and that's why he, he told him that that last one? Interesting. Wow. 
Maybe. Wow, that makes me really think just because actually I'll talk to you about that when we finish going through the episode because I have some theories about Jack Dahl and that plays into it. Okay. That's that's interesting though. To me it was just Jack Dahl cuz Jack Dahl says to Louie and I think he's being genuine. He says I won't tell you you can do this cuz I don't know if you can, but I hope you do. Yeah. And he calls him a good guy. And yeah. It's like honestly like we all need a Jack Dahl to tell us that. You know what I mean? To not tell us we can do it, but just to be like I really hope you do it because I like you, you know, like that's almost better than someone saying to you, I know you can do this because if someone says that to you, you're usually like, they're full of shit or they're stupid. Like, have they spent any fucking time with me? (laughs) But someone saying like, you're a good guy. I don't know if you can do it, but I hope you do it. That feels very, very genuine, very jacked all. So Jerry Seinfeld comes in and, uh, you know, he's waving his fucking big fucking $500 million dick around. Rolls in like big dick Rambo. Oh, yeah. Which, why wouldn't you? He sold fucking Seinfeld for like a billion dollars. And he goes, um, Louie, I hate to tell you this, but uh, I already got the gig. Yeah, I found out this morning. I'm going to be the host of The Late Show. But right before he leaves, and he even says to Louie, oh, you can be a guest anytime. Real Hollywood douchebag shit. Right before he leaves, he goes, uh, oh, uh, can you keep that a secret? No one knows it yet. And there's this great moment between (laughs) Louis and his agent (laughs) where they just look at each other like they've just, I don't know, like they have just seen a part of the world they've never seen before. And the agent suddenly goes with like the most excitement any actor could have portrayed this with. He goes, when someone asks you to keep a secret, and I think Louis finishes it, he goes, that secret is a lie. <laughs> and this is the moment where if Louis thought he was going to get the gig before, I think this is where Louis he is. He thought like, he had a chance. He's like, if I had a slim chance before, now I have a fighting chance. And so he goes out there and he does his show and he does well. We see guest stars. We see big celebrities. Susan Sarandon. Susan Sarandon. Paul Rudd. Uh, Paul Rudd. Yep. And he does well. And so you didn't think at this point that he was going to... At any point did you think... I thought there was... caught a, up in the moment at all? I thought there was a chance. And it, the thing that I took away from it, though, was he's trying and he's going out of his comfort zone. Yeah. And, and a lot of times I feel like when you are like an artist or a creative type, it's almost like he's just enjoying whatever it is. He's just enjoying Ooh. that he he has the shot. He think I think Louis thinks that he has he has a chance, and I think he did have a chance. Yeah. But, I would say I don't know if he has that that insight quite yet to appreciate it for that. I think when he's out there, when you see that montage, that's a man fighting. You know I agree I mean? with that. Yeah. Fighting. That's, I, I don't know if he's quite to the point where he's like, I'll just appreciate this for what it is. That's a man like, you know what? That's Rocky. When he's doing that, I actually had that thought. I was like, he has a shot. He knows he has a shot. Yeah. This is Rocky fucking Balboa. Cause when you watch that first Rocky movie, I don't care what people say about Stallone or Rocky. That first fucking movie is America. That is what it means to be not only a man, just a human being with a fucking fighting chance. You're well, gonna lose, but you fucking try anyway, and you have this feeling. He like lets he lets go of the self doubt. I yeah. think in that moment, yeah, and that's like the the liberation. 
Yeah, and, and the whole time he's been basically being played because Chris Rock kind of plays him. Jack Dahl's kind of been schooling him. I mean, he He is, doesn't know if Jay Leno was playing him. Mm-hmm. And he he hasn't been a guy in control yet. But when Jack Dahl gives him that piece of advice and he recognizes it, you see it in his eyes. You know, it's Eye of the Tiger. He's ready. So the show goes great. Next thing you know, Louie's hanging out at a bar with his comedian friends. Uh, Jim Norton, one of them. Nick DiPaolo. Nick DiPaolo. Love him. Both great guys. Uh, and he finds out through the television, well, and through his agent, who's kind of running into the bar to tell him, that he never had a shot. Jerry Seinfeld was never in the running they were only using him as a pawn to get David Letterman's contract down from $60 million to $40 million. For, I thought it was $14 million. I thought they said that too, but then Nick DiPaolo, do you remember he says, well, think about how good you are. You brought his price down $20 million. Oh, is that what he said? So I thought maybe someone misspoke or maybe we just both misheard, but uh, doesn't get the gig and we even see his show goes so great we see the Gary Marshall the head of CBS again he's watching it and he's talking to Jack on the phone Jack Dahl and he says this is exactly what we need because I have an option yeah I have an option because that's all they want to do is go to David Letterman tell him you know guess what we don't fucking need you because we got this guy bring his price down and that's all it ever was and Louis is Bummed out for a minute, as we all would be. And then uh, he's walking the streets of, uh, you know, he's walking the streets, sees the late show sign, and something changes in him. And he says... It was a victory. And he says, he basically says it was a victory. He says, I did it. He starts yelling at the building. I did it. The late show with... Were, yeah, because he's also, he's also told David Letterman... He's dead to David Letterman. He's never going on the show. <laughs> He'll never be on the late show again. And he goes up to this building. He's just like, I did it. I did it. Like, fuck a, you, David Letterman. Like all those crazy New Yorkers you see in Times Square just yelling at buildings, which is a common occurrence. And uh, he's just yelling and he goes, David Letterman, do you hear me? Fuck you. <laughs> and, uh, so it's a victory for him. Or at least he walks away thinking it was a victory. And then uh, basically it ends with... He's back at the the boxing gym on his own accord because he doesn't need to be there. And this time, instead of seeing him get his ass kicked, we see him throwing some punches. Trying. Trying. Not for any specific goal, but just trying to try. And I thought uh, what was interesting about this is that especially as... I won't even say as artists, just as human beings... Um, we uh, we make so many plans and we work so hard sometimes for one specific goal. But the, the hard truth that I think no one ever really accepts, it's like a hard truth you'll swallow your whole fucking life, is in life you have very little control. We have free will. You know, we're lucky to live where we live, to have... To be able to, you know, practice that free will. But uh, in life in general, you don't have much control. 
you can't control circumstances. You can't control life is very chaotic. It's very happenstance. It's very, a lot of it is chance. And a lot of it too is, especially when you get to this level that Louis kind of flirting with, then you're dealing with other people. Yeah. And once other people are involved, you have even less control because people, they lie because they're all trying to get what they want. You know, so you're this whole time he's working so hard for this one goal. And when you do have one goal, you can become very focused like that. You can you can lose weight. You can get a new job. You can do a lot of things. But at the end of the day, you still might not get it just because at the end of the day, you don't control even 50 percent of life, you know. And I think the end of this episode is Louie accepting that. You know what I mean? Accepting that I don't have control, but you know what? All this control is reaction. But that's why life is. Yeah. Control your reaction. That's why life is more about the journey than the destination. Yeah. Because if you think you know where you're going, you got a lot to learn because you don't know where you're going, especially if we're talking in terms of art and careers. I don't think any artist out there would ever argue that their career, even if they're multimillionaires, and very successful, they would never argue that. My career turned out exactly like I thought. Yeah. David Lynch wouldn't argue that. Louis C.K. I'm sure wouldn't argue that. None of them would. Well, the the other thing that I took away from, from this ending was that his failure was a was a victory. And he he learned to live with that failure because there's that moment where he's outside of the late show. Yeah, and it's even though he he didn't get the job, he still succeeded in a, in a really big way. That's like a career milestone. Well, he, he found. Well, even I would say like this was worse for his career than it was good, you know, because Late Show's like, "Fuck, Fuck you, you, you're yeah. dead to us." <laughs> CBS basically manipulated him. Him and Jerry aren't going to talk ever again. Yeah, but uh, it's finding success and failure, which I think is a hard. That's a hard pill to swallow for anyone. And, but it's, it's the truth. You do find success and failure, maybe not financial success, maybe not the sort of success that other people look at. Spiritual success. Yeah. It's not the sort of success you can, you know, talk to your ex-wife about or show friends and they'll respect it. It's something only you can appreciate. And that's a, that's a, common type of success but one that i think is less common for people to accept and if you can accept it i think you're you're winning you know Mm -hmm. because i think that's uh again it's a lot of people can't recognize that because a lot of people do fail and they see it as a failure you know and they let it get to them they let it eat away at them and and they let it basically become this poison in their life but and i'm not saying this is something that like I hold true to all the time because I don't. Yeah. It's not a natural thing. But Louis at the end, I mean, he finds that success and failure. And it's a success only he can appreciate. I don't think one other person on earth could appreciate it. Only him. And so reaching that point, that's a huge success. Arguably better than getting the late show. Although millions of dollars would have been great. But uh yeah. Anything else to say about this, this uh, or these three, these three episodes? You said you had a Jack Doll theory. Oh yes. I, okay. Okay. So this plays into 
what you said. I like Jack Doll. I think any character... I don't think David Lynch is capable of playing a character who's not 100% genuine, which is not a knock to him as an actor. That's just David Lynch. Like, yeah. he is such an... David Lynch, to me, is just like a... He is an energy that no one can match in this world. He is just positivity mixed with realism, like incarnate. Because he's not positive. Mixed with surrealism also. Mixed with surrealism. Because David Lynch, if you watch his movies, some of them are incredibly dark. Like some of the darkest shit I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. And the yet, underbelly. The underbelly. Of American life. And yet... They're not dark in a way where he's saying something negative. You know what I mean? It's always coming from a place of weird positivity. And that's how I feel he is as an actor. Like, he's just genuine. But I will say, I did have a thought rewatching this. Because this was probably my... This had to be my third or fourth time watching these episodes. When the CBS president is talking to him on the phone, he's watching the tape of Louie, and he says to Jack Dahl, this is exactly what we need, Jack. Do you think Jack Dahl knew the plan? Do you think he knew that CBS never wanted to hire Louie and was only basically manipulating him to get David's price down? Because the CBS guy does say that to him, but you could also argue he's saying it to him in a way that like, hey, this is exactly what we need. But they also have a long relationship. I would say it was almost uh, irrelevant to him whether or not oh, that to was... Jack Dahl. To Jack Dahl. Okay. Whether or not that was going to be the case. Like, I, I, the way I took it is he has a job to do. He's supposed to get Louie ready. That's his one job. Doesn't matter if it's so he can actually get the show. None of those other circumstances, I feel like they don't matter to him. I feel like he's yeah. just diligent trying to do his job. That's at least what I uh, take away from that character. But then, to me, the character's so genuine. So then his meeting with Louis when... Uh, well, okay. So, okay. All right. You know what? Your theory sounds actually better than mine. Because when he's in the room, you mentioned, did he give him those rules because Seinfeld was there? Because I was going to say, why would he say all that stuff to Louis if he knew... That that shit. Was I don't happening. think he he knew either way. He just knew that he got sent to him, and he like he even talked. He even said at one point, "It's like I have one job, and that's to get you ready for this." Mm, okay. So I think it's literally just like he's gonna get Louis ready to do the best that he possibly can. I guess you know what? That's part of what's brilliant about it because this reminds me of any time I talk about a David Lynch movie. Yeah, <laughs> you can have ten theories. And each one of them could be true. Yeah. So as far as Jack Dahl, he could have manipulated him. He could have not known what CBS was up to. He could have not cared what CBS was up to. He could have said what he said because Seinfeld was there. He could have said what he said because he legitimately liked Louis. Any one of those could be true. I, I guess the one I want to go with is that he didn't know what CBS was up I to. Don't think, I don't think he knew. But and I think, again, I think it was irrelevant to him. He just knew that well, he had to get Louie ready and that yeah, was Yeah, that makes, that makes Jack Dahl a little cynical in my eyes, though, because he's ignoring certain things he knows to be true. So I almost want to think Jack Dahl may not even be a guy they call a lot. This may be a real old late night producer that Gary Marshall just called up because like, eh, he owes me a favor, you know? 
And uh, maybe he didn't know CBS's plan. Maybe he really, because I think when he says to Louis, I don't know if you can do this, but I hope you do. To me, I think he really believes in him. That's what I think. I think that's him saying, I think he realizes like, this is probably a long shot, but you know what? I really hope you pull it off. So that's the ending I want to go with. That's the, that's the theory I want to go with, which is, that's how I watch a lot of David Lynch movies. You can have like four or five theories. I just go with the one that, that makes me feel the best. <laughs> just like with like Twin Peaks. Twin Peaks is very dark. And I just go with the one that makes me feel the best. Because I feel like that's what David Lynch would do. Because this is a, as dark as he gets, he is just a ray of fucking sunshine. God, I love Golden sunshine. Golden sunshine. Yes, if you are not watching David Lynch's Daily Weather Reports, what the fuck are you doing with your life? They are like uh, just a... It's like a little little minute meditation every day. Everything else drowns out. He just tells you the weather in L.A. That's all he does. But for some reason, David Lynch not only makes it interesting, but he makes it vital. And he just gives you a shot of positivity. I watch it every day. It gets me through the day. So anyway, any other thoughts about these episodes of Louie? I love them. I think they uh, they say a lot about, just like you said, the... The fear of success, the fear of failure, whether it's in art or it's just in life. And uh, I think it's a great journey to go through. I think the place he ends up at is awesome. And it's sad he doesn't get the late show, but uh, that's life. Nothing beats a fail but a try. I like it. This has been Man of Science, Man of Faith. I'm Zachary Lehman. I'm Taylor Berryman. Catch you next time. This podcast is produced to you by Taylor Miller.